Today we have Nick Espinet on the show. Are you looking to invest in multifamily real estate? Nick shows us anybody can be successful in multifamily real estate if they are focused and determined. Nick was a physical therapist. He tried competing in the multifamily space in Dallas-Fort Worth, and after some failed attempts, he pivoted to a tertiary market. He and his business partner are now the second largest apartment owners in Abilene, Texas. Nick is now invested in almost 900 units as a general partner and 800 units as a limited partner. Listen in and learn how someone with no prior real estate experience found a way to build a completely new career path. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Nick Espinet before we start the show. Nick lives in the Fort Worth area with his family. He was a physical therapist and was looking for a way to invest for his family's future and retirement fund. He attended a free meetup and the guy sitting next to him later became his business partner. He's now invested in close to 1,700 multifamily units and has become a full-time real estate investor. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Nick Espinet with us today. Nick, appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Darren. I'm excited to join you on your podcast. Absolutely. So just a little bit about how I know Nick. Um, you know, we're both part of the same multifamily mentorship group. And um, I, I, you know, was introduced to Nick early on when I joined the group. Um, he's been killing it. He's been, he's been doing tons of deals. Uh, he's very involved. And um, I'm very interested in this conversation. So uh, with that, Nick, how many properties and how many units are you currently invested in? Um, we uh, just closed my last two deals in uh, September. We closed two deals 10 days apart, which is exciting. At one point, we thought they were going to close on the same day. So that was number five and number six. Wow. And that brought my total units up to 889 units uh, that I've co-sponsored. And then uh, my wife and I also have passively invested in a, about another 800 units. So um, around 1,700 total units, if you count our, our GP and LP um, positions. That's crazy, crazy. So you mentioned uh, you and your partner. Um, I, I know um, Brad Abbott, is, is, is he a partner on all your deals? He's in a he's a partner on a five of the six. But five yeah, of the we, six. We started working together early on, and uh, just uh, great guy to work with. You know, trustworthy and uh, solid. So you know, I, I I foresee pretty much all the deals. Um, the one that he's not, I came in to be more of the experience and and not that extremely involved in it. Just there as a mentorship, a mentor for some some newer investors and um, n not extremely involved in it. I, I fully understand. So talk a little bit about partnership. I mean, how did you um, meet Brad and, you know, how did you know that he was the right one to partner with? Did you decide to partner, uh, you know, at, before you got your first deal? Like, you know, uh, what, what went into that? Sure. So uh, I met him at a meetup, just a local meetup in, uh, I think in Arlington or Hearst, somewhere in the mid cities happened to sit next to him and we just started talking and he was probably six or nine months uh, in front of me in the program of going through the trainings. And we just started underwriting deals together more. Uh, I would liken it to a study buddy or a workout partner that 
Um, we just, uh, after our kids would go to bed around nine, nine 30, we would get on, uh, just on the phone and sometimes sit and talk for two or three hours or not necessarily talk, but we were underwriting deal. You know, we didn't have zoom back then to share screens continuously. There's a, a, a program join.me. And I, I think you could do like 15 minute or smaller increments of doing a shared screen. So we would work. I kind of felt like we were in a cubicle, but you know, 30 miles apart from each other That's underwriting funny. deals. We would, something would come up and go, Oh, let's look at this. Let's do a join.me real quick and, and look at it. But we didn't pick the same deal and underwrite it and then come together and see what we did different or what we did the same. And so we did that for several months and, and you know, Brad was starting to make offers and I, I just said, Hey, I'm, I don't want any part of it, but I want to go tour with you. And so, you know, after we, he made a couple offers, the first one I was, I think the agreement was I was going to get, 10% of, I mean, a small, small part to be part of it. And then as you know, we went further along in it and we made more and more offers and we felt like we were kind of equally skilled that time we started, to, we decided to um, um, equally split our, our, our uh, sponsorship portions. And, you know, and working through that, we lots of late nights on the phones just got to where we could tell we both worked well together. Highly encourage anybody that's putting uh, a, a sponsorship group together that you get to know the person because you're going to be married to them for, you know, five or more years possibly and, and have to make it possibly have to make tough decisions and go through, um, you know, these, these properties have a lot of moving parts and there could be some most likely will be a challenge or two. And you want to know how that person's going to respond. Are they going to get, you know, overly stressed and, and, and not do well, or, or are they going to, you know, just say, Hey, all right, we got a problem here or an issue. Let's, let's see what the solution is and work through it. So, you know, that I, I think it's important to you know, not only find somebody that your, your pieces fit together well as syndicators, you know, um, from job wise, but also that your personalities can fit together. Well, I think that's, I think that's really important. Um, you said a number of different things that I think, you know, listeners should pay attention to. One is, um, you know, you mentioned like the, the workout buddy thing, you know, like, look, if anybody has had a workout buddy, you know, there's days that you don't want to go to the gym, but your workout buddy is going to be there and you don't want to let that person down. Exactly. So it helps the accountability side of, of the equation because look, when you first start underwriting and you're trying to go after your first deal, like it's, it's hard. You know, it's, it's hard to keep doing the work and maybe the numbers aren't coming out. And so, but if you have somebody else that you're working with that you're, you're accountable to, that's huge. No, for sure. You know, it's cause it does. And, you know, it took me a little less than two years to get my first deal closed, but you know, there's times in there where you start getting frustrated. Is it, is it ever going to pencil out? And, you know, I think having, we talked about where we met through our real estate group, having a mentorship group or a group of other uh, people that are pursuing the same thing is good. And, you know, we, we would get together for networking events with people that had had success and that really helped charge my batteries to, to go and have dinner or, you know, a, a beer or something with some guys or girls that have um, already had success. And, you know, they're sharing things that work for them. And, you know, I, I would really feel like that just charged my batteries back up when we yeah, had that. I, and working with Brad too. Absolutely. So, um, surrounding yourself with other people makes you feel like, Hey, if they can do it, you can do it. Right. Um, if you, if you just talk about it with friends and family that they've never done it before, they may, you know, discourage you from spending time doing it. And when you start seeing all the success that everybody else is having, you know, it gives you that extra motivation. For um, sure. Another thing you said though, about having the partner was, you would underwrite the deal, he would underwrite the deal, and then you would come together. And, sh and most likely, they weren't exactly the same, right? So then you, it forces you to talk about the differences, and then you, know, you have to either explain and get the other person on to agree that the way you're approaching it makes sense, or you know what? I, I think I need to modify this to be more like what you've got, you know? Sure. And you uh, learn, helps you, you learn. learn. Right. And so it's a, it's a, um, you know, people ask about, you know, the mentorship group and, you know, whether, you know, can you do it without it? And I'm like, absolutely. You can, you can do it without being in a mentorship group, but 
but I believe you will do it much faster and you will learn much faster if you surround yourself with other people that are, are doing this thing and can point you in the right direction. Yeah, 100%. You know, you have other people that you see that are successful at it that's going to encourage you, plus people that are helping you and giving you. I've found within our group, and even when we go to meetups, people within the multifamily world are very abundance mindset. At, at 99.9% of them, want to, they'll give you, tell you what they've done that that helps and uh, um, to help you along and, and give you pointers. And, you know, within our mentorship group, like you said, the value in that is tremendous because you can do it without by yourself, but um, the, the mistakes you'll make could cost you, you know, you're looking at several zeros on, on these, you know, my first property was $3.7 million, which is small in the scale of multifamily, but it's still, you know, $3.7 That's a sizable million. investment, right? And, you know, and that we're taking, um, at that time, we took a million and a half of other people's money that I definitely don't want to lose. So I want to have all the tools in my pocket or in my tool bag that, that can help me. And that's, you know, if something comes up that I haven't seen or not familiar with, I can call one of the mentor, one of the coaches and within the group, or just one of the other syndicators that then, you know, maybe I've heard them talk about that or call and go, Hey, we're having this issue. Have you ever seen it? And, you know, we found another experienced partner that came along with us to on the loan. Now he took a pretty sizable cut of the first deal, but he was there. If we, we had a phone call, um, and we had a question or something we could get him on a phone usually, you know, within a few hours or so, usually quicker, but you know, the expectation that, you know, there's, there's rarely anything that needs to be resolved immediately. Right. But he was there to guide us because I think he had had five properties at that time before we, we partnered up with him. So having that mentor, I mean, it is invaluable, I think. Absolutely. Um, so you know, just leveraging other people and you mentioned networking, you know, meetup groups and, and look, you met your business partner by going to a meetup group, you know, like, so you went, I'm sure you learned something from being at the meetup group, but you, you got your business partner that you've done five deals with, you know? So listeners, you know, this is not something that, you know, the large scale multifamily, which, which we predominantly play in 60 units and up, um, it's not something that you, most people do alone, you know, so you got to get out there and network, you know, so go to meetup groups, go to conferences, you know, meet other people and some people you're going to click with and some people you're not. And, and so, and some people are in the same situation as you and some people are, you know, more advanced and you can learn from them. And then, the, then six months down the road, there's people that have less experience than you and you could help them. And, that comes to the abundance mindset that you mentioned. And I don't know if you remember this, Nick, but I was new to the group. So I don't know how long, how long you've been there. I'm, I've been doing this for, I don't know, three and a half years. And um, I, I saw you at one of the conferences and, and you were like, Hey, how's it going? You know, what, where are you at? And I'm like, you know what? I'm looking at this one deal. And you were like, Oh, I looked at that deal too. I'm, you know, I'm not pursuing it, but I would love for you to win it. You know, I'd love for somebody to, to win it that I know. And if there's any help I can give you, you know, reach out. And that like, it kind of floored me, you know, I'm like, you know, it's different having other people that you had no, you know, skin in the game. You weren't going to make any money off of that yet you offered your advice and your counsel. And, you know, that's, that's the abundance mindset. It's huge. For sure. And, you know, I've, I've experienced that. I, I was treated that way early on. I started, it's about five and a half years for me that okay. I've been in the group. So same thing where people had a, you know, would say, Hey, you know, give me a call. Like I said, back then we didn't have Zooms. You know, we can talk through a deal. If you have a deal and you want me to give you some pointers that that's helped me. I had multiple people, um, extend that, that offer to me. So I wanted to, you know, repay it. Cause I, you know, I'd started having success and, and enjoy helping and, and part of it too. when you're helping other people, you're going to learn just like Brad Abbott and I haven't been study partners of, if, if I'm coming in helping, uh, someone through a deal that they may come up with a question that I'm not familiar with, and it's going to make me dig or, you know, find a way, find out something about it and, you know, or, or see a different way to look at it. You know, there's, there's different, there's not one straight line to get to the, to the goal, there's different angles that people can take and, and, and you can help one another out on that. Absolutely. And, um, 
I mean, would you say that deals are pretty competitive? For sure. Yeah. (laughs) So deals are competitive, right? So you lose more deals than you win. And, but that can be a learning process too. So, um, you, you may end up knowing the buying group that won and you may, if you're on their investor database, you could end up reviewing, you know, their business plan and their underwriting and be like, how did they approach this deal? Like, what did I miss that they, you know, that they didn't, that they were able to get there. Um, And you can learn that way as well. Sure. And I think, you know, once, once most people, once they've closed, they've got it locked in, they would be willing to share with you. You know, if, if you didn't pick it up on the webinar, they would, if you approached them and said, Hey, what did you guys do to get, get to this point? I think most people would really uh, enjoy educating, you know, helping you out on that. And, And that, that surprised me. I come from the, you know, the middle class, middle class background Kiyosaki talks about where you think of everybody as being cutthroat that's in business and, um, and wealthy. And, and I, it's, it's been the complete opposite. It's, you know, just the, the, the abundance mindset is, is just overwhelming and, and, you know, everybody trying to help. And you said something that you're, you're going to win, win, lose more than you win. If you're winning more than you're losing, you need to consider, you may be overpaying. If you're winning every deal, you you might be, uh, you might double check that, you know, and that's a great thing about being in a mentorship program. We have checks and balances where other people review the deal for you because I I want another set of eyes. I want somebody to pick it apart before, you know, my last deal was in in the $30 million range. And, you know, I don't want to make an offer on something like that. Um, Yeah, I trust my underwriting, but if I've got my partners looking at it, a couple other people within the group looking at it, it gives some comfort to um, to go forward that you've had other people, uh, other knowledgeable people review the deal also. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you see other deals that are trading in that sub market. And so, you know, you get comfort from that and you take all that information and it gives you comfort. I remember my the first offer I put in, the first LOI, you know, I told my wife and she was like, are you excited? I'm like, what if they accept it? Like, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm right, you know, I don't, and I didn't, I, I didn't win that deal. Somebody outbid me and that gave me kind of comfort as to where things trade, you know, we're trading at that time. And then more experience, you get, you get more comfortable and, um, and then you want to win the deal because it's, if you're second or you're last, it doesn't matter. Sure. <laughs> but well, then you get your first deal accept. You're like, Oh, what have I, what have I bitten off here? What have I got? No, it's, and it's exciting. It's, and that's why I encourage you to start not super small or newer people start with a more manageable raise. You know, my first raise was a million and a half. And that, that's something too, that being in a, a mentorship group is, uh, is it's beneficial. Cause you know, I think we have between six, 800 people within our group right. and, and they understand multifamily and they know the language and they're, they're um, it's easier for them to invest cause they, they've been educated in it. So you, you have a, a large pool of people that want to invest in multifamily. So that that's another benefit of, of being in a mentorship program because there's usually other investors within it. Absolutely. And in the mentorship group, you know, for the listeners perspective uh, that we're both evolved in is, is the Brad Sumrock group. It's based in Dallas. Both Nick and I are based in the DFW area. Um, and, but there's members across the country, uh, but we've benefited tremendously by, you know, sharing and leveraging from one another. And, um, you know, I've been in a bunch of different industries and I had the same experience as you. Like, what the heck? Like, people are, are people really sharing, you know? Um, but I think that there's a couple reasons for it. One is I think that people legitimately want to help one another because somebody else helped them and they're giving back. Um, and then secondly, there's... Um, Typically, this more experienced people, they kind of graduate up to larger deals. And so they're not even competing with the people that are, you know, asking them for, for advice. So they're, you know, they're not even looking at those deals anyway. So they're not, you know, uh, looking at them as competition. And down the road, they may partner together. Like you never know. Hey, talk about tertiary markets. Because, 
you know, when I got involved, I had brokers. I was trying to get a deal done in the in the DFW area, and I had a lot of brokers that were saying, "Hey, come out to this, you know, two hours outside of Dallas, and come out here." And there's less competition in those markets. Um, you know, perhaps less buyers at you know any given time, um, but. I've seen that you guys have focused on some tertiary markets. And so talk about your experience there. Sure. Um, so Brad and I were looking in DFW and even Houston a little bit, but just kept getting beaten. So we put our heads together and thought, let's go to where I, the, the Blue Oceans book was out around that time. And it talks about, you know, the, the, the red ocean is where the sharks are feeding and there's blood. But there's, the, the premise is there's still some good fishing or good eating for the other fish just outside of the, you know, the, the meaty areas. And so let's stay in Texas where there's good job growth and good population growth. But um, let's look at some of the secondary markets. So we started looking at Abilene, Lubbock, Amarillo, um, San, I think San Angelo, Longview, Tyler, some of the, we, we were looking, trying to, I think those were all, we were looking at, they wanted our first rule was population of a hundred thousand and then look to see if they had positive job growth and positive population growth. Uh, now we didn't underwrite the same as we would a deal in DFW. We, we use, we use an industry data. We, yeah, you know, we use our, um, I think on the first deal, we use annual rent growth and, you know, that at the time we were using 2% in Dallas, we used either one and a quarter or one, I think 1.5. Our, um, uh, economic vacancy was around 11, maybe 12% at stabilized, uh, and we we knew we wouldn't be able to because because you don't have the income we're not going to be able to push a hundred dollar rent bump so we're doing you know twenty five to fifty dollar rent bumps for for some of the upgrades and our reversion cap rate you know same we on the first property we used a, an eight point and I think at that time most stuff in Dallas was probably using a six I would guess for a similar property you know and then even on our last one last two we bought in Abilene. I think we used a 7.75, 7.5. So you much, much uh, more conservative re, uh, sales cap rate, what we're, reversion of what we're going to sell the property at. And then we, we've recently started talking to a broker and he, he's at least telling us we haven't got the BOVs that these deals may be trading in the low five. So we're looking at a pretty significant nice. cap rate compression on what we underwrote at, which is exciting to see, see where those, uh, uh, where, where we may be able to uh, list them at. So, sure. but the demand deal is going out there. Another reason is at the time, and this is pretty standard everywhere now, but in DFW, you needed six figure uh, day one earnest money, uh, non-refundable earnest money. And that would, we had it, but it would have put it, made us pretty thin between the both. And so we started looking at Abilene, our first deal, I think we had 15 K non-refundable day one. And that, that was it through the thing. And we've, We've gone a little higher as the market's gotten a little hotter, but at the time, it's um, definitely, you know, your, your terms are a little e uh, less um, aggressive out sure. in the secondary markets. And, you know, it's, you, I think you can look at, um, in, in any state that has positive job growth and positive population growth. And, and you know, I, we know uh, um, the, uh, somebody that's bought in um, a town of uh, like 30,000 people, but it has three, it has three big economic drivers. It's not just one one thing and that that was we, we ended up buying our first four properties in Abilene but it has a, a large uh, medical presence it has a uh, four universities it's a big education component and and then it also has Dyes Air Force Base which sometimes you are nervous about a military installation one the Air Force doesn't deploy us like ground troops do so that gave us some uh, comfort and then as we were going after the old Abil uh, Dyes Air Force was awarded the B2 bomber, the new bomber that, that all the military is going to. So it was awarded two of the three components that are going to like the maintenance and the training. And I don't remember what the third one was, but Dyes got two of those. So the, to lock and they, they started putting in a lot of infrastructure for it. So the likelihood that Dyes is going to be closed is slim. Who You never know what the government might decide to do, but sure. so there's, you know, and, and another comforting thing, you know, we try to stay away from oil and gas, dependent towns, Abilene has very little oil and gas dependence out of the top 30 largest employers that none of them were in, none of them were in our oil and gas industry. I think 31 was like a fabrication company and they did other things, but they did do some structures for oil and gas. They actually have two uh, wind, wind turbine companies that are, were in the top 30 
that had stuff to do with wind turbines. If it, nobody's driven an hour, two hours west of DFW, you, there's thousands of windmills out there. So there's there's lots of wind wind energy. And then, um, you know, Abilene also, I said the medical, it has a, it's a hub, medical hub for 13 counties. As you get in West Texas, you'll have these little population centers and there's a bunch of counties that are very low populated. So they, there may be a doctor there, but if they need a CT scan or some type of expensive test, the, Abilene has all the equipment and gotcha. the special specialized doctors to come in and do that. So that, you know, Abilene serves a very large medical population. So I would imagine that, um, you know, once you bought your first deal and then you bought your second deal and then you bought your third deal that, you know, when you get into these tertiary markets, all of a sudden you start becoming a, a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Sure. No, you know, we're, so we're like, the second largest owner in Abilene. You, oh, are that. you really? You're the second largest owner in Abilene. Wow. That's see, yeah, that's, you, you wouldn't be able to do that in Dallas or Fort Worth. I mean, no, 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 I'm kidding. No, I, I joke. We bought our first deal in Houston. I said, now our goal is to be the second largest owner in Houston. And granted that you have to be a, a big, big player to get there, but, but we can definitely make a little dent of some sort. Absolutely. It's going to take you a lot longer to get to the second. For sure. um, um, that That's very cool though. Um, so that's listeners. That's another way to do it. Um, you know, I told the brokers when they came to me with that, I said, look, I'm going to do a year in DFW, you know, kicking, fighting, scratching, trying to get my first deal. Um, and if, if I don't, then I'll consider looking at these other sub markets. And I know that you guys have done very, very well. And I know other people that have gone to other, other tertiary markets and have done very, very well. Uh, and, you know, you, you changed your underwriting, you know, accordingly, you know, so, um, you know, that you're not going to get the, you know, the, uh, as many buyers, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to push. So you talked about not pushing rents, you know, a hundred to $150, you're doing 25, $50 rent bumps. I'm guessing that the upgrades are, are, um, not as major as people are doing in the, right. in the DFW area. We, we do usually do a platinum, a few test units. And if we can get a hundred plus on it, then we, we'll do a couple more just, and then we have them at least, you know, we get the first 12 months rent once somebody comes in and then we, we test them like that. And then instead of coming in doing wholesale, you know, every unit that comes available as a platinum, but you know, it's two tone paint resurfaced usually black appliances, but on those platinums, we'll try stainless steel appliances uh, just to see if that, that helps. But even our, our manager out there at the time said, people aren't going to pay more for stainless steel. And we're like, well, let's just do one and see, see what happens. We can move it around. Um, wood look vinyl floors. We um, try to do it throughout just because it lasts so much longer. Sometimes your second floors can be a little, have cracks and stuff. So we'll put carpet in, in, in that situation, but you know, carpet, I don't know if you found, you know, it tends to, um, um, you have to replace it every, at least every one to two turns. And so the wood look vinyl, unless somebody's just really rough on it, it lasts right. so much longer. Yeah. I, I've focused on the, on the vinyl, um, you know, for, for both aesthetic reasons, it looks nicer, I think. And also it, it, you know, is easier to maintain. Um, so what did you do before? you got into real estate and how do you even get into real estate? So the complete opposite end of the world. I was in a healthcare. I got my uh, master's degree in physical therapy in 1996 and I got into multifamily. Um, actually only I'd bought two houses, single family houses that my, that we lived in personal residence. They weren't even, um, investment properties, but I tried for quite some time to understand the stock market and want to have a better understanding of where my retirement was going and I would just I'd start reading a book and it just glaze over. It just had no interest. So my wife and I started pursuing single family, just um, you know, trying to get educated in that world and kind of had the analysis, paralysis by analysis, just overlooking. And then we you know, we decided we were gonna make a move and my my oldest daughter uh, had leukemia when she was two. So that oh, kind of, she's doing great now. She's sixteen. She's doing great. Oh fantastic. And so um that put us on hold for 
many years. We we had done the and we're you know Dave Ramsey isn't for everybody, but it was perfect timing uh, for us because we maybe two months before we we had paid off everything um, except our house. We just had a little bit left on the house and the whole uh, snowball thing that Dave Ramsey does. And then our daughter was diagnosed with leukemia, and and it's two and a half years of uh, treatments and fairly expensive even with insurance. But we just said, you know what? We'll just keep living, kind of like we. You know, I think we were prepared by our two years of going debt free and living kind of the beans and rice, beans and rice lifestyle. <laughs> to uh, we just decided that you know we're, we're going to keep doing this. So we came out. You know, we made it through her two and a half years of treatment with without incurring any more debt. We, you know, we were able to pay pay that, and so it prepped us. And then um, in that time too, we got our house paid off through the time. So we ended. Up, we came out of that with, with zero debt and, and had the house paid off. And then, you know, we can't went to, you mentioned Brad Summerock went to his um, R to R in uh, March of 2016, his rat race to retire. And, and I just, I was like, this is, I think this is what we need to do. And I hopped in at first thinking I was just going to passively invest um, and continue working as a physical therapist. I enjoyed doing it. Um, but the more I got into it, I'm like, I think I can, I can do this. And so I, I decided to start pursuing the, um, the sponsorship side. And so that was probably September, October of 16 that I jumped kind of full force in and then closed my first deal in, in February of 18. So, you know, a year and a half from when I decided to go full into it. That's, and, that's fantastic. And, you know, listeners, I mean, any, I've met people from all different industries. I mean, there's, there's real estate investors that were single family that got multifamily. There's doctors, there's lawyers, there's engineers, there's physical therapists. Um, Tom Lafferty, you know, from you know, fire chief, you know, like there's just all walks of life. Um, but you need to, you kind of got to get a little light of fire under you. Like it's got to resonate with you. And then once it does, you just got to go full tilt and, and be committed. No, for sure. And, you know, I love it. I'm really an introverted person most, most of my life, but I get around talking about real estate. My wife is very extroverted. So usually I'm the one, all right, it's time to go from church or from a party. I'm like, let's, we don't need to stay 20 minutes after and visit with everybody. But <laughs> we go to a real estate event and she's like, when are we going? It's, it's, it's completely flipped. I mean, I, I enjoy talking about it. I enjoy reading about it and, and just said, or listen to podcasts and growing my, my understanding of, of what to do and, you know, in, in just learning and, and teaching others also. Why, why do you think that is? Why, why do you think that you feel I, that I, way? I just think it's, it, it hits something I enjoy doing. I, I enjoy the hands on it, the, you know, versus a stock market where I don't really see what we're doing. And I'm not hands on, I'm not out fixing toilets or things, but I can see the property. I, I just can, it, uh, numbers have always come easy. Numbers and science were were relatively easy for me, and it, I, I just it, I can sit and look at the analyzer or an, analyze deals all day long. Um, so I don't know. It's just something that 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 I enjoy. And you know, and looking back, maybe at having that introvertedness and being a physical therapist because you are sitting there talking with people um, as they're doing their their treatments. Maybe it wasn't the best fit. I just it was you know when I was graduating high school. I saw it as one of the best, you know, most sought after jobs. Like, hmm, all right, I'll, I guess that's what I'll do. I, there wasn't much thought put into it. And as, and, you know, now that I've had more wisdom 30 years later after getting out of high school, I, I probably would have gone a different route. But, you know, it, the Lord has us on the path we, he has us on. So who knows what would have happened if I would have done real estate right out of school. Sure. So it's where we are. And, you know what? I mean, I would say a huge majority of people end up in a career just because they kind of were pushed in that direction. You know, first it's like, well, okay, what do I major in? You just major in something. And then, and then all of a sudden the companies are coming for interviews and you put a resume out and then you get a job and you're like, okay, good. I got a job. And then all of a sudden you get a raise and you buy a nicer car. And, and next thing you know, you're four or five years in, and to change careers is a risk and you you have to take it back pay. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's not very unusual, you know, to just all of a sudden end up someplace. I think sure. a lot of people end up there. 
Um, so for me, I really enjoy this also. Um, but there's w- one thing you didn't say that I don't know if it plays in for you, but it definitely plays in for me is that I'm seeing the amount of money that people are making. And I'm like, holy cow, I can't believe this. Like, why did I not know about this earlier? Um, you know, and I think that part of it is that I know when I got into real estate, the first thing I did is I bought a new construction duplex because because my mindset was like, all right, I'm just going to start small. Sure. And it was a $300,000 investment. I think my wife and I put in 50 grand and got a loan for the rest. And it was scary, man. I was like, because you think of it as like a $300,000 investment, you could lose 300000 but like it's, it really isn't like that. You know, I mean, if real estate goes down, it doesn't go down to zero. It, right. it goes down and then it comes back up. Um, it goes, you know, cyclical. But it's amazing how many people don't understand how they can get involved, whether it's passively, you know, where they let somebody like you, you know, um, find the deal and they invest in your deal and you get, get a great return or whether they learn how to do it active. But um, real estate is just crazy. The amount of wealth generation that you can, you can. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's, that, that's what triggered me to go from the passive thinking I'm just going to have my retirement type, you know, uh, investments in there to seeing them. Um, like I can make tremendously more and you can make a lot from the passive side, but you know, if you're a sponsor, you're getting your, your sponsor cut. So that's what, triggered me to move into that. And, you know, in, in five and a half years, I've come close to almost 10 Xing my net worth. 10 Xing? So 10 Xing. not very big, but I started, you know, fighting, you know, it's just, I just redid my personal financial statement last week and it's like, wow, I'm, I'm not quite at 10 X, but getting very close. You know, that, you know, uh, in the last two years, you know, first two or three years, you're kind of scrapping, trying to get, get going, but, and you know, getting two deals in the month of September really helped on that. And then you know, we closed one in December of 2020. So it's three deals in the last 10 months. And then have another one, have another one set to close later this year. And so it will even jump a little more at that time. That's amazing. You know, you Grant Cardone has that book, 10X, right? And he has got the 10X conference. And um, you know, there's a lot of hype around 10X. But this is a real person that we're talking to that had a real life example. And that's what happened with me when I first joined. The first thing I did was uh, set up a bunch of Starbucks meetings with sponsors that were doing deals. And, you know, how'd you do it? And is this real? You know, are people really making money? And, and I met so many people that were like, well, man, I, my net worth was 500000 Now it's $5 million, you know? Yeah. And you, you know, you, it would take a long, 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 long time to put 10, 20% away into the stock market and just have it grow. That way. I don't know. You could do it in a lifetime unless you pick something just right. That was going to, you know, that really appreciated. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, and so that's part of the reason why we do these podcasts is to let people know that you can do it. You can do it, you know, but it's not easy. It's not like you, you know, you get involved, you join the group and then all of a sudden somebody comes knocking on your door and hands you a deal. I Um, spent hours and hours practicing and then pursuing. And even now quite a bit, it's like you talked about earlier as, as I've now that I have more deals and I'm doing the asset management side, it makes it more challenging to underwrite and find the deal. So that's where, you know, we'll, we'll work with uh, less experienced people if they'll do the underwriting side, kind of like Brad and I did with, with the guy we partnered with on the first show. We said, we'll do the underwriting. We'll give you a pretty significant chunk of the deal if you'll come in and be our sponsor. Because the brokers want to see somebody experienced on, right. on the deal. It helps you win the deal. Um, and it helps your balance sheet, too, and, and your experience from the experience side and the net worth side. But, uh, so you having that now to, 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 um, to help others and you kind of helps them get a step up too. But, you know, as you do it, 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 it's a significant amount of time. Like, you know, I was saying earlier, Brad and I would probably work sometimes from 9 PM till 
11 or midnight, several nights a week, just talking. My wife would joke that we had a bromance. She joked, like, <laughs> I think I talked to Brad more than I talked to you. <laughs> and it's fun because Brad and our families have now become friends. Um, he has three daughters, like same, about the same age as my three um, daughters. So it's great. We're, we're taking a, a trip together. Um, first week of November, we're doing it. We've rented a cabin in Broken Bow and we're going to take the whole family up there and kind of celebrate some of our successes. Fantastic. That's, that's awesome. So um, with your experience and your knowledge, um, you know, you ended up becoming a coach within, within the mentorship group. So talk about one, you know, why did you decide to do that? Um, and then two, kind of what, what were some, what are some of the um, learning lessons from, from being a coach? Sure. Uh, one of my main, main drivers was, like you said earlier, I was already offering to help people. So I'm like, well, I can, I'm doing, you know, I've already kind of walked along that path, helping people out. I'd like to get more involved with it and help, you know, give back to the program too. You know, and not that we do get paid a little bit, but not a ton for, for the coaching, but to help the program that's moved me, done so much for me and my family and my net worth and just a lot of mindset stuff too, of getting out of that middle class mindset and, and knowing that, that what, what, how the wealthy think about things and how, what actions to take, how to be more positive in life. And so I wanted to give back within the group too, and help support that. So it's, it's been a, been a great experience. You know, I enjoy coaching. Um, I work with all the newer students coming in for about the first 30 or sorry, 60 to 90 days, or sometimes less depending on what, what their background is. So I'll, um, uh, you know, start out and get, get most, if not all the new students, um, up to speed when they move on to their more permanent coach. So it's, it's been great coming in with all these newer people. And, and I feel, I mean, I feel like I'm helping them set their trajectory. Like, you know, they're going to launch like an arrow that needs to go somewhere. We're helping get their aim. You know, they're not going to hit the target while they're with me, but they're, we're just getting them dialed in and, and it kind of almost holding their hand if they need it. If they don't, we're, we're, let, we're giving them the space they need, but to be there and answer questions and, you know, try to have a call at least for the first 30 days, every two weeks, three calls in the first 30 days, and then spread it out from there, depending on what, what they have going on and at their pace. And then try to follow up with them. If I haven't heard from somebody in, uh, you know, a few weeks, I just send an email, just, hey, how's everything going? We want to make sure, you know, don't lose your momentum. Um, you know, for this program, let's get you, if you, if get you back on track. That's, that's great. Um, so I tell people, I don't know if this is true and I'll ask you if you, you kind of have the same experience, but you know, I see, you know, when you go to these conferences, I see a lot of new people sign up, a lot of new people. And, and then over the next year, you know, I see some of them get deals done, but I see a lot of them not get deals done. So, you know, what I try to tell people when I'm having coffee with them or they reach out to me and, and have a conversation. I'm like, look, in my experience, kind of like the 80, 20 rule, like, look, if you look back into your, your life and into your experiences, and if you are the type that rises up and figures it out to the top 20%, whatever industry you're in, you're probably going to be successful. All, you're going to get all the tools that you need, but there's a, there's a kind of quality of fight, kick, scratch, be committed, never say die, you know, type of attitude that you have to have. Um, if you're somebody that's looking to write a big check and then just, ease, you know, have something handed to you, I'm like, save your money, you know? So oh, for sure. it talk to grit. me about, you know, you, you see all, you coach all these people, like what are the characteristics of the people that you see become successful and those that falter away? I think it's those that aren't afraid to fail. That'll jump in there. You know, you, you got to have grit. You're, you're like you said earlier, you, you lose more than you win. And I try to encourage people to go, look, when you miss a deal, take that as a learning opportunity, kind of like sharpen your knife, learn from it. And, and know what to do on the next deal. And even talk to the broker if, if you're in that. I think the brokers would appreciate you saying, can you give, you know, don't give me, I don't want to know what the other guys did to win it, but can you give me a couple of pieces of advice that um, maybe on the next deal I'm, I might try that 
uh, can help strengthen my offer on the next deal. Then the broker knows you're you you're bought in. You're wanting to to grow and do better on the next deal. Um, but but I think it's just having grit, and it's hard to see in the first thirty days, sixty days, and something. But it's the ones that are going to get in there and engage, take advantage of you know. Brad's program has 18 training modules and, and you can't watch one or two and expect to start making offers. You need to go through the process of watching all of them. When I, when I went through the training modules, I have um, maybe three or four legal pads. And I'm, I'm, if I write something down, it helps me retain it. And I, and some of them I watched twice. I think I can probably read Brad's dialogue through most of the, <laughs> most of the training modules. Cause I've, I've, I was just, and there's so much meat in there content that, you know, I'm writing everything down. And it was good, especially early on when I'm like, man, I know he said something in one of these and I can right. go back through my notes. When, when I would pause, you know, I'd, I'd try to do an hour, hour and a half at the max just because, you know, you need a little break. And I would write where I stopped, and, you know, in 38 minutes and 17 seconds or whatever. So that was not, I didn't expect it, but it was nice when I came back and was looking at something. If I didn't really cry, understand what I wrote or I couldn't read my writing. I could see, all right, that was around the 36 mark, 36 minute mark. I could hop and just jump ahead and, and rewatch what he had said. So, you know, and that, that's, I think people that will put the time in to, to do the steps because Brad's hit, you know, and he's, Brad has set up a successful program and a lot of people have followed it. So people that try to reinvent the wheel or do it, you know, shortcut it. it, it it's not, it's not going to work. Yeah. And so I, everybody to, to go through the program it's going to take a while because those tra- those videos are an hour and a half to two hours each and if you're really going to get a deep understanding of them you need to take your time reading through them. i'm not re- listening to them and, and watching them and then practice practice deals and not expect your first one to be a a grand slam yeah it, you know set an expectation um i love the advice that you gave um you know talk to the brokers that it's a simple little advice, but, you know, somebody new to the industry may think like, oh, I put my offer in, I, you know, I didn't win the deal. Uh, I'm just going to scurry on away. Like, I wasn't close. Like, I don't want to bother the broker, you know, but there's so much wisdom in that advice that if you go back and say, you know, say, Hey, what did I miss? What, you know, the, the guy who won the deal, you know, how did he look at the deal? How did he underwrite the deal? And it let, it does a number of things. Like you said, you know, one, it teaches you because maybe you missed something that you can use on your next deal. Um, but it also lets the broker know, and this person wants to learn. This person isn't going anywhere. This person, you know, is somebody that, I think is going to be, be around, you know, and it implants, uh, you know, a memory and a rep and, you know, a, a feeling that different than if you just scurried away and. Definitely. You know. And, you know, come, I like to approach it. I don't know if hat and hand, but in a nice way, don't come in demanding. You know, some people get kind of pushy and yet you can be off putting, but you know, if you come in nicely and say, Hey, can you, I just love to learn. Can you help me understand what we could have done to be make a better offer on this? Because um, I hear stories of some guys just almost being rude to brokers. And that's never going to help you because these brokers are the gatekeepers to the seller and to the right. deal. They're going to be, even if you have a strong deal, but you've been a jerk and you may have the strongest offer, they, they're, they're, I won't say they would, but there's a chance they're not going to put you, they're not going to present you in a positive light to the seller. You know, the, the, or, or if your your deal is even with somebody else's and, and somebody else has been friendly and has built that relationship, the, the broker's going to put put that guy's uh, offer in a better light. And it may, uh, it's not fair, but it, but it's the reality. It's the reality. Like, but that's not fair. That's not fair. Um, yeah, it's it's not fair. You know, that I've heard some some syndicators that have, you know, thousands and thousands of units and they're like, this is not a fair business. Um I get the phone call, you know, first for an off-market deal, and I get the phone, the last phone call on a marketed deal. Um, that's not fair, right? But another way that I look at that is like, okay, how do I get myself in the position exactly. where I'm the one that's getting the unfair advantage, you know? So, um, you know, everybody has to pay their dues, and, 
you, you know, so you got to fight, kick and scratch. So, Hey, talk about scaling. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about the first deal, how hard it is to get the first deal. And it is, you know, to, to get your first deal. Um, but then look, you get one deal and now all of a sudden you have, you know, six deals and over, you know, almost 900 units, you know, so how did it play out after getting the first deal in terms of scaling? You know, I think you have credibility after that first deal. That's why I encourage when I talk to the newer students and people wanting to get involved is say, don't plan on buying a 200 unit deal on your first, your first, uh, right out of the gate, start smaller. One, the brokers that are working on the smaller deals. And I've learned this since, or maybe even in the secondary markets are usually some of the newer brokers, newer to the, to the career. And they're going to give you more attention. The guys that have been doing this for five, 10, 15 years have those experienced guys that they've already been uh, working with. And they're going to, they're going to lean they know those one, they know those guys can close deals Two, They have that relationship and they can talk to them and reach out to them first. So as a newer uh, um, syndicator start on, you know, that's where the smaller, maybe secondary market deals work. You start building that relationship with that newer broker. And in 10 years, he's going to be a high, he's going to be selling 200 units, you know, some of the are newer, you know, a nicer class of stuff. So, you know, start at a level where you're competitive and be, be friendly with the brokers. Don't, I mean, don't, you know, like I said earlier, they are the gatekeepers and don't, don't think they're your, um, your servant. And I've heard, I, not often, but I hear of guys being rude to them. I'm like, it's, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, that, that's just dumb. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So you, and you know, anytime that I ask them for a, a financials or something, just always try to be friendly. I mean, it's not my character. I'm not being fake. But, you know, it's, it's be friendly to the guys, try to, you know, um, and, and chat with them. Um, so, and then scale. So once you get that first one, be it a 60 unit or like mine was a hundred unit, but it was, you know, at the time we paid 37,000 a door and stuff in DFW at that point was probably going 50 to 60, maybe 70,000. Um, but it got my foot in the door and I'm, I'm not making a lot of money off that. We had the more experienced, um, partner come in and he took half the deal and Brad and I got the other half of a 10% sponsor fee. So you, I'm only getting two and a half percent of the deal. It's, it didn't change my, my wealth trajectory at that moment, but it stair set me up. Um, and now we, we bought a second deal in Abilene and, um, and then, you know, a third and a fourth and two of them from the same broker. It's just showing that you can the same close. broker. Yeah. Yes. That, you know, they have a positive experience with you and then they come back and, give you another deal for sure. And, and show, you know, they know that you can close now. They know that you weren't a pain in the rear. You came through, don't retrade. You may get into a deal and find out there's something that you didn't detect on your, on your walkthroughs. And if, unless it's really going to blow your deal up, if it's just going to move your, your numbers a little bit. Now I'm, I will bring it up to the broker to, you know, but uh, we're not going to come in and retrade a deal. You know, one of our deals, the roofs were in worse shape than we thought, but we were able to, um, move our, our rehab stuff around to where we are going to replace all the roofs on them. But, you know, for a second, we're like, Oh man, we're going to have to go back and ask for a discount or concession on this. But, um, um, you know, I was like, I don't want to retrade on the broker. Now we told the broker, we found it and felt he, um, he made us believe the roofs were in, but it's a three story. So we couldn't really see on top of them until we got out there with the roofers during due diligence that the roofs were all newer than what they were. And so we, we did have a talk with him. It's like, you know, we're not going to, retrade this, but, um, we know. So I think he, I, I would suspect that he appreciated that, that, you know, he does, cause he, he spoke for us. He put us in there as the buyer and he doesn't want us to, um, to come in and retrade, even if it's, you know, on a, a very large deal of a couple hundred thousand dollars, but it's, it's still money that, um, you know, we ended up eating it in, in the long run, I think it's going to help with the relationship. It didn't affect our returns much at all. And they were still very close to what, what we originally, and it came back, our insurance was less. You know, we had some other, other things that settled out in different ways than we had originally, you know, originally underwritten. So the, the overall uh, returns didn't change at all. Actually, they improved over time because we had savings as we went through it. Yeah. So, I mean, there, I've heard that over and over and over again, right? It's like, do what you say you're going to do. Don't retrade. Um, don't nitpick and try to change the price after you're in contract. Uh, you know, all those things. But I think new people, you know, may look at that as being like, 
well, why wouldn't you like, you know, you know, and it's just, it's short sighted because this is a relationship business and these deals are extremely competitive. And so you're going to end up having four or five buyer groups that are very close in price. And the broker is going to remember that, you know, you are a pain to deal with. Definitely. And he's not going to, he's not going to advise his seller to, to sell to you. And so, yeah, you may have negotiated, you know, a $50,000 or $100,000 concession, you know, but you're going to have a much harder time on the next deal. And you might have to overpay by two or three or 400,000 to, to win the next deal because the broker has that knowledge that, and the broker community is, is small. No, so no, I was going to say that same thing. Even if they're not working, they tr- move sometimes if those guys get together at a, you know, at um industry gatherings and, and they talk. And they, yeah, they, they hey, hey, I saw you did a deal with Nick. How's he to work with? Exactly. I'll say, yeah, they'll, they'll call and check reference type thing too. So you, so you want to keep You your think that, all right, I'm going to a different broker group. I'm not going to, you know, be exposed. It's, it's not true. You know, it, it's, um, they talk to each other and they, they, you know, they're, they're trying to protect their commission. They don't want to get egg on their face, you know, with the seller to have any problems. They want it to be as smooth as possible. So the easier you make their job, the more business they're going to want to throw your way. For sure. So talk about, um, talk about fear. Like, were you scared, you know, in the first deal? Oh, for sure. I, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm, even the last deal, as we make the, you know, I have that buyer, bit of buyer's remorse. It's gotten less because I'm like, we've underwritten it. We've had other people look at it. But, you know, you know, this last deal, you know, I committed up at, at day one, $100,000. And there were three of us that did that. And then we had to put other money. And by the end, I had close to one between 150, 175 tied up of money. And, and is this going to work out? Are we going to, you know, you go through all these, these doubts, but th- th- that's part of, you know, being within a group that you have some positive stuff. I mean, you, you ha- I, I think a little bit of fear helps you and motivate. It does me, it motivates me to go, but coming back to the first one, extremely nervous is, you know, did we do this right? Um, or, or is it going to work out like we, we thought? And, you know, that, that the comfort of being within a, an investment group where we've had coaches review it, other students review it and, and, and a partner or two review it gives you some comfort that, that, that it is going to work out right, but it's still, you know, especially when you're looking at, you know, you're buying a multi-million dollar, you're committing to buy a multi-million dollar business and run it, you know, and it comes back to, you know, fear of changing. I was in my mid forties when I switched from therapy to real estate. So, you know, that, that was, was very, um, un, un, you know, unnerving, I guess, but, you know, I was blessed that I was in a contract position so I could kind of blend, shift over slowly. Um, but it's still, you know, I've never had it. Well, other than through the mentorship program, it's not, I was not trained to do real estate or Excel or the stuff that, that has been some of it self-taught, but a lot of it from through the mentorship program. I think that fear is real and fear. um, I think it hits you on all different levels. So even your first passive investment, you know, wiring 50 K or 75 K or hundred K into a deal like, am I picking the right deal? Am I picking the right sponsors? Am I picking the right market? Is the timing right? You know, all these questions can come up. And at the end of the day, none of us has a complete crystal ball. None of us has 100% information. And so what I've seen with people that have been very successful is that even though they're, they have fear, they still take action. And that I think differentiates, you know, people from, you know, success and sitting on the sidelines. 100%. And, and, you know, preparing yourself to take that action. It's the, you know, not believing in luck. It's luck is when uh, preparation meets opportunity. And so you prepare yourself and then to have that, overcome that fear and then take the action. Because if you're not having a little bit of fear, 
again, I would question, are you making foolish decisions? But you know, right. it's nice to, to be concerned and, and, and want to pay attention to it. it. It keeps me watching deals. I still look at every, every deal multiple times a week just to see where occupancy and delinquency and uh, collections, you know, certain uh, numbers that I want to see that, you know, to give me an idea of if, if there's how the property's doing. <clears throat> so um, you're already up to, you, you own over close to 1,700 units, almost 900 units is a GP. Where do you go from here? What's the next big stretch goal? I think continue, we were looking in Houston more, continuing that tuner, maybe start moving into the more B, B plus assets. But, you know, my, the C uh, assets have done nice. I, I you know, I, I'm not saying I'm going to run away from those, but I think also coming in and being more of a, the passive syndicator, you know, just to the point where you come in and um, not be as involved in the asset management side, but be a, a kind of a mentor or just there um, on, on the GP team and um, help out a little bit, but not take as active of a role and, and have somebody that's newer, uh, possibly do that, or you know, getting to the point now where um, getting close to being able to hire somebody, be it a VA or um, some type of asset manager, where we hire somebody to do it. Because, um, like we talked earlier, it, it's still a lot of work if you're in there doing the asset management side. You're, it's this is not a put your get rich and or put money in, get wealthy, and kick your feet up and have a, a umbrella drink at the pool. It's you're you're still having to do quite a bit of work, either raising capital or doing the asset management side, but I, you know, I'd like to start trying to outs, um, uh, I guess outsource or hire some of the, those things and, and focus more on the, the making relationships with investors and, and find in relationships with uh, brokers and, and finding deals. Yeah. And you're in a good position as a, as a coach to be exposed to a lot of those new people and, you know, you, you get to know, um, how they underwrite and, you know, which ones you would maybe want to partner with and, and, you know, the ones that are fully committed and, you know, will do a good job and, um, and you're, you're, you're perfectly aligned to be the experienced guy. But, you know, three, four, five years ago, you didn't have the track record. You didn't have the resume. You, you, you know, you couldn't be that guy. Right. And now you can, so you could, you know, that, that goes with what we kind of were talking about earlier on is that like, you know, you, you're able to help the next guy. You're, but you're going to be compensated because you're going to be, get a piece of the GP. Um, you're going to lend your resume and your balance sheet and um, off to the races. So that, that's awesome. What do you like to do outside of work? Oh, I want to share with the listeners, this guy, holy cow. I don't, I'm going to have him share but he decided to go on a health kick and he lost a ton of weight. And so what share, share with people what well, you did. Um, it's more of a shotgun approach, but, but one started eating keto, you know, 90% of the time I'm not a hundred percent with it. Uh, and actually I was one of the few people I think during COVID that I did lose weight just cause we didn't have the networking events to go out and, uh, and have, I, I'm not one to drink at home. So, you know, and if I'm at home, I eat a lot better. But one thing I think what Darren was really hitting on is we do a cold, my wife and I a cold plunge. So it's, we have a, um, we, we now have a horse trough, but we actually ordered a true cold plunge. It's taking, oh, you did. we have one coming that will be, it's like a hot tub, but it's cold, it goes down to 42 degrees. But our goal is to get in 50 degree water for 20 minutes, as many days a week as we can. And it and sounds- And you lost hard. how many pounds? Uh, probably from my heaviest- 4550 45, 50 pounds a weeks but I need to I'm starting starting my back being a little more serious with with my uh, dining and exercise and so it, you know just between and I went from doing more long distance running to doing high intensity interval which is great because a good workout's 12 15 maybe 20 minutes at the most right and you just you know it's really hard rest the time period really hard and it's it's great cuz I mean it's rare that I can't find 12 minutes to to um, do, um, do something, some exercising. And so the, uh, it, but in the cold plunge too, I, I think that helps it, especially, you know, I'm 51 now. So definitely the joints are a little more achy after some of this stuff, but I'll come home from my workout in the morning and climb in the cold plunge and stick it out. And it, it's, 
first 30 seconds, you're like, oh man, this stinks. But you get this relaxation as you're in there. And, and, you know, we started at 70 degrees and work our way down. So we acclimate our body to it. Um, so that is, uh, it, it, and I, I almost have an adrenaline rush now afterwards. I feel like I have this, I, if I miss it, I miss it if I don't do it each day. Because you formed a habit, you've formed right. a positive habit. So in addition to, uh, the, the health side, what else do you like to do outside of work? So, uh, I used to mountain bike more, but I don't much, well, you know, we have, a, I, I do like to hunt a dove hunt and, and deer hunt. Um, so that's more fall and winter. And then I have three daughters that, um, that are in school and play different sports and, you know, involved with that. They're in middle school, high school. So, you know, that, that's taken a, a big block of our time now. Um, I remember those days we would have to, you know, divide and conquer, you know, on the weekends. Um, um, so, Hey, if somebody wants to reach out to you, um, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Sure. We have, my website is, uh, thrive multifamily.com. So T H R I V E multifamily.com where my email is Nick and I see with, with no K at thrive multifamily.com. Hey, um, really appreciate you sharing. Um, and you just been a good friend, good resource, good guy all, all together. And, um, you know, I appreciate uh, you as a friend and uh, appreciate you coming on and, uh, listeners. I hope you enjoyed that one till next week. Sign off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at DarrenBatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. <laughs>